This is why they don't use words that rhyme in the military. Um, okay, friends, uh, so sometimes when we hear um, scripture passages that we know really well, and we're really good church people, and we've um, been hearing this maybe our whole lives, um, we tend to tune out. And so I want to invite you um, to, to, to set that aside, to set aside what you think this passage is going to say and hear it today like you, you're hearing it for the first time. So this is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all of the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and every other living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth, everything has been given the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. a quick scripture recap real quickly as we go through those days of creation in Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was dark the first day, and God said it was, okay, then God, I believe, separated the land, the waters from the sky, from the waters from the sea, and the land from the water, and said it was, And then created the stars to recognize the day versus the night and said it was. And then created the birds of the sea and the, uh, the birds of the sea. Um, That was the first go around, yeah. God decided to change God's mind. Created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and said it was. Okay, so you get the point. God said that it was good and then God said that it was not complete yet and so created something in God's image, both woman and man in God's image in Genesis 1.27 and said it was very good. Right, that word good in Hebrew is tov. And it doesn't just mean good as in like tacos are good. It means according to God's purposes, although tacos are according to God's purposes in my book. When God created... The first story, 
this Hebrew account of who we are in light of God's wisdom, in light of God's ways, this Hebrew account that we have adopted of what we are, who we are, and why we are in light of who God is, we were called good. So why then, why then a few years ago when we were interviewing youth ministry candidates, and we had all these candidates come in and they gave a sermon to the youth group to kind of judge speaking skills and theology and, and what they were going to end up influencing our students. And this one gentleman got up in front of the youth group and the very first word out of his mouth was, you are all wicked. We didn't hire this guy, by the way. You are all wicked. But he's not the first one who's ever said that. This past Ash Wednesday, even, if you tuned into the sermon I posted online for our at-home experience, it talked about the, uh, re- one of the reasons why we are here is that we are forgiven. We celebrate. We come to worship. We're part of a church. We celebrate because we've recognized this forgiveness in our life because when we confess in our baptism, we say, oh, you know what? I gave them the wrong scripture passage. So uh, in, in Romans 10, we say, Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's this understanding that in forgiveness, in baptism, even over a young infant, we acknowledge there's something wrong. Because we can look around our world at our experience and we can acknowledge that this is not according to God's purposes. The fact that I was trying to talk through some people with their uh, pool problems breaking in ice and at the same time talking with somebody who didn't have windows with ice, right, there's a problem that that exists. So we can look at our world and we can say, well, something is not right. And, and Lent is a little bit of that time in which we can examine our culture, in which we can examine our world and say, well, how are we not at the resurrection yet? Lent was one of the, the second kind of Christian season. The first, first holiday was Easter. We didn't celebrate Christmas until much later, but the first holiday was Easter. And it was the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, of Christ coming and fulfilling and recapitulating and redeeming this world through resurrection, that life mattered, that life existed, and we gained access to abundant and eternal life in heaven and here, and decided that we needed to really spend time preparing for that, because it's not enough, as Christians, the early church said, to just say we're saved and be done with it. Saved wasn't an escape pod to somewhere else in the early church. Saved was, we are rescued from, we're rescued from our anxiety here. We're rescued from our lack of priorities here. We're rescued from Caesar here. We're rescued from persecution here. Saved meant that we transformed and were redeemed to be very good again. See, the first story in the church, the first story from God was not, you are wicked. But it's become part of the culture. We have put this emphasis on forgiveness, which is a good thing, but we put emphasis on the forgiveness part of our, seek, our seeking for forgiveness versus God's choosing to forgive. And so in that Ash Wednesday sermon I talked about, that when we talk about forgiveness, we usually think about our penitence and our sadness and our faults and our guilt. And what we fail to turn that around is to say that, well, why are we here? It's because God chose to forgive us. 
God thinks we're worth something. Because when we were created, God said, you were very good. That's the first story that was ever told about us. The first story that was ever said or, or written about us is that we were very good and yet we've turned, we've turned church, we've turned Christianity, we've turned God into this condemnation of the wicked as opposed to a rejoicing in God's word for us. And when this becomes part of the culture, one of the reasons why we're doing this sermon series called Why Are You Here? or Why Are We Here? is because this uptick in, um, it used to be midlife crisis. And then it's quarter life crisis. And now it's teenage anxiety. And it's this, where do I fit into the world? And, and a lot of where that, where do I fit into the world, is a cultural question. Because there's an assumption that the world looks one way, and when we don't fit into that way, then we can't really figure out that question. And even when we're riding the wave of culture, right, we're riding the wave of success and achievement, we've done everything we need to do, somewhere along the way we hit into some trouble. Maybe it's an ice storm that causes us to question our priorities for two days. Or maybe it's COVID, which causes us to rethink things for a week or two or a month or two before we try and seek normal again. But we tend to struggle for a little bit. Why am I here? And I want to tell you your first story. And I want to tell it to you by introducing you to a kid named Alex. And Alex was a camper of mine at a camp called Camp Ozark in Mount Ida, Arkansas. The thriving metropolis of Mount Ida, Arkansas. If you ever go through Mount Ida, Arkansas, I ask that you stop at the Dairyette. It is a knockoff Dairy Queen, but I'm pretty sure Dairy Queen stole all their ideas from the Dariette. It is the best ice cream place uh, in Arkansas. And so uh, at Camp Ozark, after uh, my junior year of college, as a Christian sports counselor, a lot of great ministry done at Camp Ozark. It was really a really wonderful place. Um, but Alex, Alex didn't fit in. Um, what you get when you go to a Sky Ranch, or you go to a Camp Ozark, or you go to a Pine Cove, you go to a Canacuc, what you normally get or a bunch of kids from South Lake, or Lovejoy, or Allen, or Plano. You get all these kids, and most of them are pretty athletically inclined. Most of them have the latest in fashion. And back in the 2000s, it was that beaded shell necklace thing that went around your neck, and, um, and, a, and a fancy kind of tank top, and some athletic shorts. And all the kids kind of looked the same, even though they were different. And, and you generally get kids who um, have... They're, they're not as wowed by the rock wall. They're not as wowed by the blob or the, the slides or anything because they've done these things before. They've been to camp before. They've experienced all of these things before. Alex was there on scholarship. In fact, Alex was the only kid from the state of Oklahoma who was there at Camp Ozark this entire uh, summer. Most of the kids were from Texas. Some were from Arkansas. Some were from Missouri. A few were from other different places, but most of them were from Texas. Alex is the only kid from Oklahoma. He's there on scholarship. He lives with his single mom. Alex is overweight. He has buck teeth. He's everything that doesn't fit in in the perfection of the summer camp culture. And all summer long, Alex is just grafting to me. And I'm a little annoyed by it because I want to be the cool counselor. I want to be the guy who's out there throwing passes to the kid who's eventually going to play at, you know, A&M or something, so that one day I can look back and be like, yeah, I played with that kid. But instead, we go to the craft shed every day during recreation time, or we go to the mini golf 
place. And we just do something, and, and we do something so that Alex doesn't have to be seen by the rest of the campers. And let me say, the rest of the campers weren't doing anything wrong, necessarily. It's a little bit like, what I saw going on was this story in um, Genesis 11. And you may recognize it called the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is this story where all of the humans on earth, it's kind of one of those first stories we think is the first story. And, and it's all the humans are united by this one common language. And they say in Genesis 11, then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now notice what humans do with their creative ability right there. They build something for themselves. And when I read the Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11, I always think of it, I was like, well, this doesn't sound so bad. If everybody's united in one language, isn't it best to be united? We talk about unity, we talk about togetherness all the time. Wouldn't it be best just to let them go and, and have that peace? Except for what we tend to do in culture is we build something for ourselves. We build something to make sure that we'll last and we'll have perpetuity. We, we tend to we tend to control and protect our own values. And the question for the people in that time is, well, if there was anybody outside the tower, where did they fit in? The people, the kids at Camp Ozark didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do anything right. They didn't go the extra effort because Alex didn't have washboard abs. He didn't have bleached blonde hair. He didn't have the shell necklace. He couldn't catch a pass to save his life. Alex didn't belong. Yet Alex had confessed with his heart and said, or confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart that he was saved, and so why not? When the entire point of the camp was to unite in Christian love, when the entire point of the camp was to seek our first story that God loves us, why did Alex not fit in? Well, it's because we only saw one way. I stuck with Alex the entire summer and I tried to drag him kicking and screaming to play football with us. And you know, they didn't even pick him last. Out of pity, they would pick him not last somewhere, but then we'd play for 45 minutes and he would never get thrown the ball. We'd play basketball for an hour. He'd never get past the ball. I would drag him into these situations thinking I was making him brave or making him bold. I was saying, you've got to fit in. You've got to come along with us. Come on, you're never going to be trusted if you don't subscribe to this. If you don't subscribe to this story that you have to be good at athletics, you have to be uh, well-dressed, you have to fit in, Alex, or you're not going to be trusted, and they're never going to give you the ball unless you fit in. And thank God there was somebody who saw something different. There was a guy named Dave, and, and Dave was like the spiritual director of the camp. Uh, we called him Super Dave. And uh, Super Dave is the funniest Christian counselor, the funniest human being uh, I may have ever met. And Dave did not fit in either. Um, Dave only fit in because he had authority and people looked up to him because he was funny in this way. But Dave was overweight. Um, Dave couldn't catch a ball to save his life. Dave also was not the, the GQ model um, that you might perceive from what most of these kids kind of looked like. And, and what Dave noticed early on in the week that I didn't is that Alex is really funny. Alex has this great sense of humor, and he was often too shy to share it or too modest and meek to share it, but, but 
uh, Dave really latched on to this sense of humor, and, and eventually, the, the camp was two weeks long, and eventually, in, in the, f- the first weekend, there were different opportunities to go do things, and, and Alex got bonded with, with Super Dave, and, and Super Dave said, you know, one of the things I would really need help with is we do these skits every morning, and you've got to be sharp, you've got to be prepared, right, and you've got to be able to think on your feet, but we do these skits every morning to kind of get people in the right frame of mind so that they can have the most spiritual experience in their day. And we usually try and make them lighthearted. And, and Alex, I, sh- I need you to be a part of this with me, right? We got one more week left. I need you, Alex, to be a part. And, and I swear, I'm sitting right there on the mini golf course watching this interaction happen. And you can almost see, like, Alex's heartbeat bursting out of his chest. Part of it's nerves, but you can tell by the smile on his face that also part of it is the first time that Alex has ever been trusted with anything. It's the first time that he's ever not had out of obligation to help his mom out with things or out of obligation to try and fit in with somebody else. It's the first time where somebody looked at Alex and said, Alex, you are so very good. I need you to do this specific thing. Alex, you're not wicked. You're not an outcast. You're not overweight. You don't have buck teeth. You're not all these things that they've told you about yourself. Alex, you are so good. I need you to do this for me. And so come Sunday morning, they get up and they start church, and Alex is there front and center with Dave, and they're doing this skit, and the entire, the entire camp is just rolling at Alex's laughter. He's got this huge slapstick about himself, and it doesn't come out of trying to gain approval. It's just that he's funny. It's just this gift that he has that's never been allowed to shine because it's, it's not the typical bro humor that you find at summer camp. It's not the typical cool guy, I don't care humor that you find at summer camp. It is genuinely just make fun of yourself, have fun, laugh at the world funny. And you know, from this experience, people start to pat him on the back. He starts to get invited places. They don't pass him the ball anymore. They still don't trust him in that culture, but but Super Dave helps Alex unlock a little bit to where, to where some of these other kids start to see that there's more. There's more to this experience than just being good at sports or being good-looking or having the latest fashion. They start to see that their culture isn't the only thing that matters. That tower that they built up to themselves isn't the only thing that matters. What matters is God's first story for us. And what happens is that Alex unlocks their understanding of God's first story for him. And by virtue, their first, God's first story for them as well is that we are very good. This culture of loathing, self-loathing around sin that we've created. Yes, we make mistakes. We are imperfect. We don't fit into God's righteousness 100% of the time. But that's not the first story God told us about ourselves. If you look at Romans chapter 10 where it says we have to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts then we are saved, that is absolutely true. But if you look at the rest of chapter 10, it goes through this theoretical argument about, well, what happens if no one's heard of Jesus Christ? What happens if they haven't heard the good news? And Paul says, no, the good news was preached before. Paul's got this very Trinitarian theology that says that Jesus was there from the beginning. Moses gave the law. God was there in creation. All of these things have preached 
that we are supposed to be good. We are supposed to see outside of what we've constructed to uplift our own values and our own priorities. We're supposed to see through all things that it wasn't that we were created wicked with this plan for salvation. It's that God's been trying to restore us over and over and over and over again to the first story God shared. That you are Tov. That you are very good. That you belong. That you matter. And that God chose you. That God trusts you. I think this is one of the things that we we talk about sin too much, or we talk about even forgiveness too much. We feed into this cultural, societal thing around anxiety we have going on, this cultural awareness now of, of crisis of conscience. And we feed into that narrative, right? Sin is real, evil is real, our brokenness is real, but we feed into that cultural narrative that is overwhelming right now that things aren't okay. And we build that into a culture too much to where people start individualizing that to say, I'm not okay. And listen, John Wesley said that we're nothing in light of, without God's grace. We are nothing without God's love. We are nothing without God's promise. And all that is true. But when we start from a place of wickedness, when we start from a place where we don't fit in and try and move to a place of belonging. Well, that's a really hard leap to make. But if we can undo a little bit of our cultural understanding around God's story for us, around what our idea of sin is, if we can undo a little of that and see what Super Dave saw in Alex that I missed, is that before we were sinners, we were good. Before we made mistakes, we were trusted. God in Genesis 1 said, I want you to name the animals. I want you to shepherd creation. I want you to be the dominant force on this earth for good. And I inherently trust you by giving you this responsibility. You don't trust somebody who doesn't have gifts. You don't trust somebody who can't do it. You don't trust somebody that you don't love. And think if we started from that place. When we're asking this question of why are we here, usually it's in the terms of career. What is my purpose? Usually it's in terms of serving or, or what am I supposed to do? What's my unique calling? And we're going to get there. But we only look for that unique fix because we know our unique problem. Our unique problem is that internally we have anxiety and doubt that we belong here or that we're good enough. So we need a unique fix to a unique problem. What if, the, what if the problem is more general and the problem is more general and that we don't recognize God's trust for us? Because what if the purpose you are here is there's a turtle that needs taken care of or there's a million turtles that need taken care of? What if the reason you're here is that every time Every time you enter out into the world, that's your world to take care of. Every time you see another human being, that is your human being to take care of. 
I wonder if instead of anchoring ourselves in what is wrong with us, I wonder if we can anchor ourselves in how God trusted us. And so that your purpose is not meant just to be found in one single thing. Your purpose is to help shape a culture in which Alex never has to question where he belongs and why he matters and why he's good. Your purpose is to help shape a culture with every decision, every action, and every breath so that people know that God loves them and they start from a place of trust. Why you are here, why you are created, is because God trusts you. Why would God keep on bringing us through the wilderness with manna and water from a rock? Why would God keep bringing us back from exile? Why would God deliver us through Jesus Christ? Why would God give us the Holy Spirit? Why does God continue to run down the road toward the prodigal son and seek after the one lost sheep and the one lost coin if God doesn't trust us? And we might look at that and say, well, what a character flaw on God's behalf. That's only because you've bought into the lie that the first thought on God's mind is that you're a sinner. You are. But it's not the first story God told us. You're not here so that you can be saved. You're here because God trusts you. You're saved so you can get back to that point. So we're going to keep journeying through this journey of why we are here and what we can do about that and what our purpose is. We're going to end the last week with our unique purpose and our unique calling and how we can find that. But right now, if you don't have that for yourself, if you're not sure what your special job on this world is supposed to be, know that you are part of a general job. You are part of a general work. And that is that this world has been given to us as co-creators with God, to bless, to shepherd, and to help people know that God is good. And God thinks we are too. Let's pray. God, we ask your blessing upon our lives. The blessing you gave with that first breath of creation that said we were very good. We know that we have not lived up to that moniker. We know we have not lived up to your trust in us. And that's not okay. But we also know that you are good and sent Christ to redeem us. To give us an example to follow and to take away our sins on the cross. To rise again, to recapitulate life and give us a fresh start. Lord, as we look toward heaven, let us also bring heaven to earth. Let us trust your trust in us let us start from a place of belief as you have believed in us to craft us from the dust may we return to that dust and be formed again through your breath and through your love through your grace may we humble ourselves from our towers that protect ourselves so we might be crumbled to a place to be brought up again to be raised up in a general sense, the first thing you said about us is that we are good. God, there's too much negativity in the world. 
There's too many people starting from a place of no and can't and why. God, help us to trust you that we start from a place of good and help us to come to a confession that it is through your ultimate kindness in Jesus Christ that we indeed can be good again. It's in your son's name that we pray this. Amen.